It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hey, the boys are back in town. You know, it is what it is. Uh, down at Dino's Bar and Grill. Well, not that Dino. Um, <laughs> oh, we're starting out fun today. A little inside <laughs> baseball for you folks. My name is KP Burke. Uh, we are back on American Loser. We missed, um, actually, that, that's a good we are dead. We only missed two days. Two days. Yeah. Only one major complaint um, to a, a lady out there who's a, been a fan from the beginning. I want to apologize to you, ma'am. Uh, Tristan. Madrero, uh, <laughs> we're so sorry that we apologize. We know how much you look forward to this. Yeah, got to give, um, got to give the boy his fix. Hey, hey, hey! All right, pronouns. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> got to give the customers. Uh, I don't know. It's true. The listeners. We'll go the with listeners. listeners. Yeah, let's be good to the listeners, man. So we are back in action, guys. Thank you for your patience. We're sorry we missed you on Tuesday, but old KP went ahead and got himself the COVID. So uh, thank you to everybody who reached out to me. Uh, we're doing much better now. If uh, this is your first time listening to the show, the show's called American Loser. We tell weird, wild stories from American history. We put the spotlight firmly on second place. Like I said, I'm KP Burke. I'm a comedian from New Jersey. With me, as always, my Delph of a dad, retired shop teacher, and all around <laughs> handsome fella. There you go. Say hello, Larry Burke. Hello, Larry Burke. Hey, hey, hey. Put a bump bump. There we go. Yeah, we're all good. I I am COVID free. Thank you very much. We're working on it. Or what um, we say the the one line club for the home testers. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. With the if one <laughs> line shows up, you're good to go. That's <laughs> more than one, not so much. That's the truth on that one. And I'll tell you what. You know who just got a stimulus check behind the ones and twos? <laughs> the producer of this here show. You guys know that voice. Say hello to the big Kahuna. What's going on, man? <laughs> it's great to be back. Because I'm not gonna lie. When I miss episodes here, it does bum me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we covered uh, – I'm just kidding. I wouldn't even cop. Uh, I'm going to stop myself. Too much inside baseball here. We are hanging out a little bit beforehand. Uh, I'm very happy. I just got to uh, pay off uh, the kahuna all the money that I owe him for the wonderful job he did on my upcoming album. 800-pound gorilla is about to release that hopefully in a month or two. Um, it's called Escape from Jacksonville. I hope you guys are going to check that out. But you're not here just for that. Maybe you like my stand-up. Maybe you like me. Maybe you like the banter back and forth, all right? But we got a job to do, all right? And we're going to go ahead and get that done. Got to get some education on the way here. Oh, yeah. History is not boring. Your teachers were. And we're going to prove it to you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it was the delivery vehicle that was the boring part. <laughs> when in doubt, blame the teachers. <laughs> That's it. Well, I started to realize it the other day, Dad, that um, there was a lot of times because in, in school, I was a two-subject genius. And a four-subject moron. I mean, <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, even averaging out, that's not so good. Uh, no, yeah. It's, uh, so <laughs> history and English was the two subjects I was absolutely murdering it in because I could write, I could read, I could appreciate literature. I loved history. I've been reading about it since I was a little kid. And I knew about this guy. And I knew quite a bit about this guy. And I had a flashback while we were researching for this episode that I remember once talking about, blah, blah, I, I was going on a rant almost in sixth grade in history class. And my teacher, <laughs> who I really liked, just goes, Okay, that's enough, Mr. Burke. And I was like, because she needs to teach the textbook. She's not wrong for teaching the textbook. 
but I never read the textbook because I read all the other big books about it. Because <laughs> that's the problem when you <laughs> when your mom tells you that you can't have a video game, you start reading history books, and then you start a podcast with your dad, and then it becomes a successful small business yeah. of sorts. Well, of sorts. Well, pays it, for the gas. It does. <laughs> right. And thanks to the good people over at the Founding Losers Patreon for as little as $3 a month, you can help supply it, it, continue this show. That's less than a dollar an episode. That's all we're asking from you here, guys. Pay my salary, guys. It's the truth, man. And uh, if you want to do the $5, let me know. When you do bump up to $5, we have a couple of people that really helped us out. I want to say thank you also to the new, um, we keep getting more every month. It feels good. All right. You lose a couple here and there, you gain a couple more. It's the ebbs and flows of the thing. But if you were ever supporting this show monetarily, it's always appreciated, even if you can't Absolutely. do it anymore. So thank Absolutely. you for that. Well, as long as we keep going with an uptick in uh, listeners, that's all good. We're trying. My plan is very simple. All right. Um, well, I don't actually have one. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's right. We keep going with whatever we're yeah, whatever I didn't, it I didn't is think we're, we're getting doing. out of year one. I didn't think we're getting out of year one, but. I'll tell you what, like all losers, though, if you guys are loser devotees or if this is your first episode, there's a common theme on this show. It takes quite a life to be a hero on two continents and to be considered a national hero in two major world powers. Um, that's kind of an accomplishment in and of itself, especially given the times. Um, and this fella we're going to cover today, who's a, I guess we'll call him Gilbert. Yeah, that was his given name, Gilbert. Yeah, we'll call him Gilbert. He um wasn't there a Gilbert on Leave It to Beaver that was kind of a yeah all right there was a Gilbert Gottfried or Gillies <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a bar in Texas Gillies but well uh, Gilbert as we're going to call him just for the introductory phase of uh, this year podcast um, he's going to live seventy six years on this earth and he manages to become like we said a hero in two major world powers at the time and who is Gilbert you ask Kahuna who is he. Uh, a great stand-up comedian. That's, that's right. <laughs> I loved him in Aladdin. Uh, how do you not? Um, well, Gilbert's full name is actually, and I might impress you, I might slaughter this. We said last week we wanted to get some French listeners. I think this is how we do it, all right? French well, or not. Or, yeah. <laughs> Depending on how you go here. Let's see here. Um, I think. Give it your best shot, Gilbert. Marie-Joseph Paul-Yves Roque Gilbert de Mottier, Marquis de Lafayette. There was an attempt there. It's Don't ask if I can do it again because I can't. Sounded good to me. <laughs> it sounded good to me. So here in America, we just call him uh, Marquis de Lafayette or simply just, uh, hey, that French dude from the American Revolution. Can you we know? just call him Marky Mark for the rest of the yeah, story? Marky this Marquis Mark. is how I was going to go. Yeah. <laughs> you you the, got uh, what I need. Marquis. Marquis. Marquis de Lafayette. Yeah. Um, but he's a fascinating guy here. Uh, it's hard to pronounce. Hard to remember, but this guy does so much in such a short period of time, it becomes almost appropriate for us to just call him, let's do the American thing. Let's give him a nickname, Lafayette. That's what we'll call <laughs> That's him. That's it. Yep. Or Lafayette for short. Yeah. So we will refer to him as Lafayette for the duration of this episode here. Um, now, LP, what'd you know about this guy off the top of your head? Off the top of my head? Did you you know. taught me about him and Baron von Steuben. Yeah. We drove past Mammoth Battlefield once. They were another... Uh Another couple of imports that came over to the American side to try to help out. And, uh, you know, they in, were all- In what time frame, though? Oh, uh, we're, we're talking uh, in Revolutionary War here. Uh-huh. So, back in the days. So, the inception of the country, if you will. That's right. Right from the start. And it took, took foreigners. Uh, as it always does. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, Lafayette comes from one of the most- if not the most badass French family lineages of all time. If you're one of those types, by the way, that dismiss the French as a surrendering coward to be speaking German if it wasn't for us, you got to read more, motherfucker. All right, you really do. Um, 
And if you want to just listen more to this show, go ahead and check out our episode about the the true story behind Cinco de Mayo and realize how insane the uh, the French Foreign Legion is. Did you just call Cinco de Mayo? Yeah, Cinco de, de, de Mayo. De Mayo. Uh, Cinco de Mayo. I hear you. Well, you. You were thinking French all along, and then when we threw the Spanish mayo. at you, you, kind of you mayo. really said Cinco de Mayo. Mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> Casa Lamino to my mi hermano Vincenzo. I have offended thee. Um, <laughs> But uh, I will say this, um, the French, the history is fascinating and it's not covered too, too much. We have this weird thing. We're almost like Francophobes here in American history where we don't want to talk too much about the cool stuff the French did because we have this kinship and the special relationship that we have uh, and rightfully so with England. However, at this particular time is when America's got to separate itself from uh, England. And so we're going to be dealing with the French here, specifically our boy Lafayette. So... Uh, Lafayette's family plays a huge role in almost every single part of French history. I'm talking about having ancestors that fought side by side with Joan of Arc. I'm talking about having an ancestor that acquired Christ's crown of thorns during the Sixth Crusade. All right. You got a badass moment in French history, and I can probably find you Lafayette right attached to it. On his mother's side, he is a legit descendant. Okay, so that's just the father's side, the Lafayette stuff, Cahoons. Mm-hmm. On his mother's side, he's oh. a, a, a legit descendant of the Musketeers. No shit. Yep, the actual fraternal order, if you will, of the musketeers. You want to build a badass in a lab? You don't need to. Lafayette's <laughs> parents already did. You got the Lafayette name, these badass people, and then oh, we're gonna, you know, maybe I'll marry and have a kid with uh, you know, that lady who's uh, the descendant of the uh, the musketeers. <laughs> Boom, the old fashioned way. <laughs> That's it. No lab needed. No lab. <laughs> <laughs> Blow out the candle, dear. <laughs> uh, Jesus, LP. <laughs> that was good, LP. <laughs> He's part Braveheart, part Batman. And uh, here, as this is kind of wild too, his uncle and his father, both of uh, wealthy and good names, like we said, are both actually killed in the field of battle in different engagements. The title of uh, Marquis or Marquis, how do you want to say that, Dad? Marquis. Marquis, uh, which loosely translates to nobleman. So nobleman of the House of Lafayette. He is now the head of this household. And uh, he's pretty young when it happens. He's less than two years old when his father is struck by a cannonball while fighting the British. Yeah, during the Seven Years' War. I mean, that uh, you know, his, his dad was uh, out on the battlefield fighting these guys, which comes into a little bit of a play later on for old uh, Did he pickle Lafayette. his leg and put it in a jar? <laughs> <laughs> he's no. got a little bit of a Lieutenant Dan, you know, I have to, you know, this is what my family does. We die in wars kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, keep going though, LP. No, it's just that on both sides, uh, they were um, the French and the, and the British uh, didn't get along for centuries, and it was always a constant a constant battle. But in Europe, they called it the Seven Years' War, and in on this continent in in America, they called it uh, the French and Indian War. But uh, you know, the Brits and the French, uh, they were back and forth all all, all the time down through history. Always. And uh, now when his uh, father does pass away, his mother actually leaves for Paris and leaves behind uh, our young friend Lafayette here. He will be raised for a while by his paternal grandmother. And the Lafayettes, well, they burn bright but fast. And Mm. even as uh, young Lafayette is in training to become a musketeer, literally, he's going to train now to become a musketeer. Just like our boys D'Artagnan, Athos, Porthos, and Christian Cordes, those kind of musketeers. Oh, yeah. His, uh, Wait a minute, Christian Cordes? That was a musketeer, wasn't it? That, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I remember him being a musketeer, <laughs> damn it. So um, anybody who appreciated that joke, that is the weird inside humor we have now on the show <laughs> oh after three years God. of being in a room together. Know your history. 
Well, unfortunately, Lafayette's mother is going to pass away. And now Lafayette finds himself at a very, very young age inheriting large, large, large amounts of the family fortune. Yeah. And he's he's richy rich for sure. I mean, he's got oodles of money uh, on his own right from from you know his parents. And he's just going to add to that. So he's he's one of the richest. With his dad passing away as a two-year-old and now his mom passes away, I think he's maybe seven. Um He's you know, not he, a he's, he's a young man. He, he's, at the very a, least. he's a young kid that he's got a he's got a lot of bucks, a lot of bucks. But still, Lafayette's desire to follow in the family tradition keeps him from going into a full socialite type thing. He doesn't want to become a member of, uh, dare I say it, the bourgeoisie. So he's going to be, hey, I got some money, but I'm also about service. I'm about hard work. I'm about uh, defending the honor of the nation, and I want to put my mind to use to help defend it militarily. So. He accepts a commission as a musketeer. Um, but after all, he is a young man. He's got a lot of money in his pocket and a very promising military career. And uh, his uncle that's looking after him now, well, he knows a fellow French nobleman that seems to have a daughter that this nobleman would like to marry off. And Lafayette's uncle and his future father-in-law pull off an arranged marriage by design. But I see you're not doing anything with her. Mind if I just... Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, you got a you got a girl. I got a boy. We need to. Uh, Could I make it any more obvious? <laughs> yeah, right. Let's swap this. Let's get this. Let's get this. Uh, I need those checks from those kids, man. Put, <laughs> putting together, yeah, yeah. You marry her off. You give away a dowry, kind of a thing, and then your families are joined together, and you're joining into the Lafayette family, one of the most uh, prestigious in the country. Makes a lot of sense here. Now, originally, the girl's mother didn't approve of this marriage. What they did, the uncle and uh, the, the girl's father. They would have um, these two meet up, like and hang out, like, oh, well, we're gonna get to, oh, look, so and so's over there. Why don't you go talk to her real quick? And then they'd go sit on a park bench or whatever, and then they'd pretty much fall head over heels in love with each other after a couple of times hanging out. I mean, they're young and impressionable kids here, and they do wind up getting married, and they're completely devoted to one another throughout the duration of the marriage, which unfortunately ends when the wife dies in 1807. Well, but we we got a ways to go though. Before we got that a ways happens. and a ways to go <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah. But I did want to yeah. point that out, that they do remain devoted here. The weird little side note, though. Um, Dad, how old were you? How old were you when you married Mom? Uh, 29. 29? 29. All right. Kahuna, how old are you when you're getting married? <laughs> uh, What's I'll the, probably be. At a five-year or 10-year plan. I'll probably be an 80-year-old billionaire married <laughs> to a 20-year-old girl who says she loves me, but I just need the company. Yep. Kahuna's getting an Anna Cole Smith kind of a thing going on. Most likely. <laughs> at, least, at least I know and I'm prepared for it. It's true. Um, but uh, yeah, we're definitely um, – you guys are old men when you get married. You're not young like uh, our boy Lafayette who gets married uh, when he's 14, 14 years old, and he's getting married. One yeah. of the most eligible bachelors in all of France, married. Now, yeah, he, well, he became one of the wealthiest uh, aristocrats in all of Europe, not just France, but all of Europe at, at the uh, tender age of 13. So uh, imagine yourself being in, in, in some middle school, 13-year-old <laughs> middle school kid, right? You're in seventh or eighth grade, and uh, you're the, one of the wealthiest in Europe, and your grandfather makes an arranged marriage for you. Well, turns out though, hey. Worked out pretty good. Now to point this out too, just so everybody knows, Lafayette's a young guy to be getting married here. His wife? Well, she's 12. She's 12. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Got to get him married off quick. You're just digging this hole, dude. Different, <laughs> different times. That's I know, <laughs> but it's still freaking weird. Yeah. By today's standard, it's nothing but weird. But oh, yeah. for back this then, is, yeah. it was, it's got to happen. These so two kids are in love. Yeah, He's a strapping young man. 
<laughs> He'll be dead by he's by the time he's forty. Well, that's, the way these Lafayettes go, that's probably like, hey man, I'm middle aged at twelve. All right, you know, <laughs> my pops took a cannonball to the chest. Uncle so and so died in battle. Um, but around this time, now a married man and a commissioned officer, Lafayette finds himself intrigued in these growing tensions between England and their colony in the New World. Now, Dad, you said that there's a couple differing opinions here, so I'm going to set you up for this one, but. Some say that Lafayette had a disdain for the British his entire life due to the death of his father right. dying in battle against them. Right. You yeah, his father, father died in seven, Yeah, his father his father died in uh, seventeen fifty nine fighting the, the British during, as I said earlier, the Seven Years' War, which on this continent we know as the French and Indian War. And you know, I guess he was only two at the time, but yeah, I guess family uh the whole family was military, military minded. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure he's hearing stories about what a great guy his father was and how he hate the freaking British and, and everything else. So um, a I think it is, it, it, yeah, <laughs> the, the whole time he's uh, he's looking to uh, an inspiration really to uh, to strike back against the the people that killed his his father, his uncle, and. A whole bunch of other people within his family on both sides, but both his family and his and his wife's family. Well, uh, others argue that he's just intrigued at the idea of England looking foolish on the world stage in this constant British-French rivalry. You were kind of alluding to, Dad. So, hello, know. my name is Lafayette. You killed my father. Prepare, Prepare to, to die. die. <laughs> <laughs> but there's the idea. Hey, I'm a Frenchman first, right? And now Britain, who's our enemy, can look pretty stupid. If these colonists in this new world pull off this thing, there's also the idea of a lot of the the values of what the revolution was trying to stand for. I mean, these are exciting times here. And these are high society people that study a lot of philosophy and stuff. So they're seeing some of the philosophy in action, which is pretty cool here. Now, um, right around the time, here's a little conspiracy nugget for you, folks. Um, right around the time that uh, our boy, Lose Reception, Sam Adams, is waging his campaign via speeches in the backroom bars of Boston. Mr. Lafayette, as any young man of stature, is said to have joined, and this is where I'm going to set you up for it, sir, said to have joined a certain men's group, a little bit of a secret society of sorts. No way. Yeah. Loserception. Loserception. The goddamn Freemasons. The Freemasons. Are you the serious? French, the French Freemasons. And there were, you know, Freema- French Freemason organizations, just as there were British. Um, but there's... Differing opinions because we are talking about a, a secret club, if you will, as to who the members were and what rank they held and all, all those ceremonies and the whole secrecy behind the Freemasons. Um, once you become rich and famous and you do great things, and as we said early on, on both sides of the, of the Atlantic, there's a lot of people that would really like to claim Lafayette as their own, right? That did he become a Freemason in France before he came over to America eventually? Or did that happen here in the United States? Well, what became the United States and the colonies? But, uh, you know, again, there's a lot of people that are laying claim to, uh, to uh, Lafayette's uh, Freemasonry uh, in their homeland. Not uncommon, too, because even another, um, according to who you talk to, he's either a German hero or a French hero, Charlemagne. Mm-hmm. So... Um, there's some, uh, complicated, a lot of people like to claim people, especially when the guy's a winner, like we're going to cover today. He's a winner, although there's some losing parts and that's why he's on this very show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, 
Like we said, he's starting to hear about it. Now, this combined with the conversations amongst the high society, some even claim this one was pretty cool here. Uh, History Channel had this, but I couldn't verify it. I was looking around for it. If anybody else can find this, um, let me know. But supposedly, uh, Mr. Lafayette is at a dinner one night and the uh, Duke of uh, Gloucester or Gloucester, Glouc- how do you want to pronounce Gloucester. that? Gloucester. See, we have that, but that's the American version. So I just want to make sure that I thought you were Gloucesterman, George Clooney. <laughs> um, mm. But uh, the Duke of Gloucester is uh, King George III's brother. And a King George III is the guy that's laying down all these laws and taxations on the colonists uh, in, you know, in Boston and uh, the 13 original colonies and stuff. So he's the, he's the bad guy. He's the perceived bad guy of, of this whole thing, King George III. And his brother and him do not get along. No, his brother, his, his brother uh, there's a, a definite hatred over there. And uh, Lafayette is at a dinner one night, and here's the, uh, the brother, the Duke, um, bad-mouthing um, his brother, and also what's going on in the colonies with uh, – because Lexington and Concord at this particular point happened. So – They shot her around the, the world. Right. The British colonists in in Massachusetts are now shooting back at, at British regulars, shooting back at, uh, you know, the, the British army. So these guys are in, in revolt and, uh, you know, they're revolting against um, what their perception is, is these unfair – unjust laws and uh, um, policies against uh, their own kind of a thing. So Mr. Lafayette uh, decides that, uh, hey, that's that's a cause that I can get behind to, to fight for their uh, oh, yeah. their ideals. It's a decent little um, uh, talking treason kind of thing. Now, speaking of treason here, by the way, this is why uh, another amazing thing about our boy Lafayette. Think about this for the times. And by the way, just in the background here, I, I forgot to mention – we are live at a shared universe podcast studio in uh, Homedale, New Jersey. <laughs> it's is, time to bring that out. Per- this is a great place. Perhaps that's why we're hearing it wouldn't be complete here at the Bell Labs if we weren't hearing some building getting demolished next door to us. I don't know what's going on. Every, Constant state of flux. Yeah, mm. Every time we record here, it's just Nakatomi Plaza on Christmas Eve. I don't know why. <laughs> All right? I'm sorry. Don't worry about it. You're doing a great job at it. So, folks, if you hear a little bit of noise, we'll, we'll persevere through that. Okay. If I hear a jackhammer, though. If I hear a jackhammer go, I think I'm going full postal. (laughs) But um, anyway, it's important though. We said the word treasonous, right? Talking a little treason in the back rooms to borrow from uh, our IRA uh, um, friends. (laughs) I shouldn't say friends on the show. Um, This is interesting though, because however, even though many feel the way Lafayette feels about wanting to help these colonials stand up and maybe have their own government or maybe just put a little egg on the face of the English. It is absolutely forbidden by the King of France uh, for any of them to participate in the war here, as uh, you know, as assisting the colonists in almost any way, money, anything like that. Yeah, and and, and right within this same time frame, um, you have American colonists, patriots who are coming over to France seeking aid and assistance. Silas Dean, Ben Franklin, a bunch of those guys are emissaries from the Continental Congress, trying to drum up a little. Uh, a little help with uh, with their cause, and uh, you know, al- although the French would like to have nothing better than the British looking bad, uh, at the same time, that France is still a monarchy. So that 
you know, you don't want to be stirring up too much trouble because some of the Frenchmen might get the idea, hey, this, this is bullshit this, with this King stuff. Well, maybe we ought to uh, follow follow the same ideals. Yeah, we'll support you guys a little bit from the side here, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah, and then in, at the same time, too, um, the Brits, the English said, if you help these guys, then that's a that's an act of war that, that when we are now right back to it again and that seven years war that we just uh, got over back in 17 you know 1750s <laughs> and 60s well we're right back into it again so nobody was really looking for the return of uh, a big war between uh, France and England so um, the king of the king of France said uh, let's not be too quick about jumping in here with uh, with these American colonists because uh, it's, it's really just a revol- an unproven revolution. At the end revolution. of the day, too, it just boils down to this. Hey, hey, the enemy of our enemy is our friend, but if we help that friend, that other enemy is going to come after us. Right. We're back into so, a shooting war again. Yeah. We can get – we're within range, okay? France and England <laughs> yeah. are within range. On the other side of the ocean, let's, let, let's see how it plays out. Yeah. So – this, however, does not stop our boy Lafayette from getting himself into the action, though. Watch out, America. We got a wealthy, high society kid with a trust fund, some military training, and some <laughs> daddy issues, and he wants to work out all of his emotions on your enemy's ass. <laughs> oh, yeah, and uh, he's also going to arrive in America, a fugitive from France, and on the kill list of the British. So the British are like, whoa, 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 whoa. A Lafayette is coming over here? Those motherfuckers are coming? He- no, 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 no. Shoot on sight kind of a thing. Right, almost. Right, right. Or let's be honest, he's a rich kid. He's a big society. Capture him. Right. We'll get a nice little ransom back for him. And then the French are like, well, you're on the outlaw list, buddy, because he had to pull some slick moves just to get out of France to get over to America. Yes, he did. Because again, the, the king of France at that point forbid any French officers because the Americans are coming over here looking for help. And whether it's French help or a Polish help or German or wherever, the, wherever that help might come from. They're off talking to the Godfather, <laughs> Ben Franklin. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and Ben is trying to, to uh, recruit some help on that. But now the King of France forbids any French soldiers, any French military to go over there directly and aid the American colonists. So what does Lafayette do? He sneaks out of the country. So now he's a fugitive of France because he went against the king and sneaking out. Uh, the British are, are definitely setting their sights on him because what a great plum that would be to to pluck to uh, to capture him, this this young wealthy <laughs> kid. Um, and for and what's interesting, he's worth to, a couple of yeah. So there. I mean, he he works out through um, some sneaky dealings, I spy kind of stuff, he does sneak out of the country and, and arrives over to uh, to, you know, to the to the colonies. I believe he came into the Carolinas, but- uh, He shows up in South Carolina, makes his first arrival in the United States in okay. South Carolina. So, um, but as all things do in America, all right, especially in this revolutionary time period, at some point, you got to wind up in Philly. It's just what it is. Yeah, that's the center. I mean, that's where the Continental Congress was, so- it's also loyalist heavy, and uh, they got a lot of stuff going on up there, man. Philly is the hotbed of activity during the revolution here. So this rich kid with uh, some good training but no combat experience, he's just going to show up and become an officer in an army over troops of whom he doesn't even speak the same language? Yeah, at this particular point, uh, his English, whatever English he has mastered is really what he had learned on the sea voyage 
<laughs> when he was sneaking out of France, he does pick up a little bit of uh, English on the sea voyage. But um, if you're learning it from sailors, he knows the word um, cocksucker. <laughs> you know that much. Yeah, but uh, um, what I also uh, read is that he became fluent in English in less than a year's time. So, I mean, he's no dope. He's Oh, a, no. Very highly educated guy, very motivated guy, too. I mean, if your job requires that you speak the language, you learn it. That's just kind of what it is. Right. Um, now, again, though, this kid has no combat experience, but he's trained. And again, he doesn't speak the language. How do you wind up as an officer over troops in a country you're not from? Again, you have a language barrel. That's how far the Freemasons can get you in life, folks. Oh, good boy. People think we're crapping on them. I, I say join. Listen to me. If you're listening to this episode and you're on the fence about it, join the Freemasons. Yeah. Um, we literally have a Freemason podcast. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. Oh, I know. And uh, I plan on asking them how to join. Um, hey, uh, <laughs> now you combine the Freemason membership that's opening some doors for them in Philly. You combine that with a letter from the Godfather himself, Ben Franklin. And yeah. that can get you uh, pretty much anywhere in the world. Yeah, Ben uh, was a pretty influential guy, and he has a letter of uh, uh, recommendation, if you will, to the Continental Congress for Lafayette and others. Um, um, they will call upon you for a favor. <laughs> that's right. They may never come, but you must join and train the Continental Army. <laughs> now, again, that, that whole Freemason thing, I found various uh, reports or um, investigations that were done to try to figure out exactly where Lafayette did become a Freemason. Some feel that he became a Freemason, a French Freemason, while he was still in France as a, as a very young man. Others say, no, 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 no. He became a Freemason with George Washington actually overseeing the whole ceremony and his initiation at Valley Forge. And um, Lafayette's- and him are, are thick Yeah, they're, they're very, very tight. Instant buddies. Instant buddies. He's a, young, he's a young guy. He's a 19-year-old kid when he comes over to the United States. Uh, to, to the colonies. And then uh, um, there's other reports that he became a Freemason, uh, not in Valley Forge, not in France, but actually in Morristown in New Jersey when they were wintering in uh, in New Jersey. During, Sorry, Pat during Dowden, the Revolutionary War. That's a Jersey connection for you folks. But what I, again, what I are. found interesting is that the Continental Army had their own Freemason lodge, if you will, that would follow the, follow the army. So, you know, you could, uh, you could join up with that, but um, the the most um, popular version was that he actually became a Freemason at Valley Forge in uh, December of 77, 1777. And soon after, and this is by uh, Lafayette's memoirs, if you will, that soon after uh, he then- put a little flavor on that. He then received a, a, a separate command of great importance that now that he is a Freemason, now that he was- initiated by George Washington himself, uh, now all of a sudden he not only gets a commission, but, uh, uh, you know, it's not just a, a paper thing. It's a, he's, he's really leading troops at this point. All he needs now is a little bit of battlefield experience, Dad. Test out all that training this boy's been getting his whole life. And don't worry, folks, that's on its way. Boom. Enter the Battle of Brandywine. Uh, loser devotees will remember this from uh, as we covered in some pretty good detail a couple episodes but wait for it the battle of brandywine shows some good resolve from the american troops but ultimately leads to an american retreat okay so in order to have a successful retreat like we talked about 
Uh, and I, I haven't mentioned the guy's name yet where we cover this episode in detail if you haven't heard it, but please, if you haven't heard it, go back and check it out. It's a pretty great story. Um, this retreat is led by Lafayette. Okay. And he is commended on the battlefield for the execution of a successful retreat, which means live to fight another day, which is important, especially early on in this war. Um, now, uh, he gets shot in the leg while leading this retreat, but luckily, resident American badass, loserception, <laughs> right. Matt Anthony Wayne, is there to facilitate the orders, um, the French officer's orders. So, this French kid's tough too, though, Dad. He, uh, you know, you got to test yourself. And the best way to test yourself is uh, you got to figure how are you going to handle your shit in Jersey? Yeah, I mean, he gets <laughs> shot in the leg during the Battle of Brandywine, too. He refuses medical help until, you know, after the, the guys are safely um, removed from the battlefield. And, and uh, he then recuperates, I think, for two months in a Moravian, uh, Pennsylvania um, hospital kind of a thing. So, But he comes, he comes back with a, with a vengeance, uh, there's no doubt. Well, uh, that's the, the Battle of Brandywine. Obviously, it goes – He's showing his medal, but it's not going the way that they want the war to go just yet. Now, we got a pretty good one here. Now, the Duke of Gloucester was, um, you know, the, the guy who was kind of firing him up here. But now he's going to actually take place in a battle in Gloucester, Gloucester, New Jersey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. During the battle good of- segue. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, I'm pretty good at this. Um, during the battle of Gloucester, he will be, uh, I'm sorry, he will not be. He will defeat. Correct me here. He will defeat. A very well-trained Hessian force, the Hessians being the badass soldiers of fortune, very well-trained. Mercenaries. Of, yeah, German origin, I would call them. Yes, you know I mean? they were hired by the British or the English government to They're here to pump them. you up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're badass. You don't want to take them too lightly here. Now, um, Lafayette is actually going to uh, get – he defeats a very well-trained Hessian force that completely had him outnumbered. So around this time frame, that's when you're going to start referring to him as the Bismarcky de Lafayette because he's <laughs> he's making things happen, all right? And uh, George Washington is telling him that you, you got what I need, all right? Get on my side here, man. <laughs> he already loves him. He already – G-Dubs loves this guy from the get-go. But I, now the French kid's pulling off some shit. I appreciate that Bismarcky reference. That's <laughs> I just want to that. <laughs> R.I.P., man. Um, but uh, – Again, he, he's pulling some things off here, but now, like you were saying, Dad, he's got himself in the good graces of Father Washington, all right? Now, you realize G-Dubs is held in high regard during his own lifetime. During the revolution, he's pretty well thought of. After the revolution, during the later years of his life, he's a borderline living god. Right. Now, I would argue he is a god. Right. He is. It, it, it's G-Dubs is the guy. So, um, when you have him on your side here, uh, things are going to happen here for you, and they have to suffer through. And this is where Washington gets a lot of his credit. I think people, and I'll say this even as a history fan myself, you took us on a vacation to Valley Forge once, family vacation, yep. right? And my beautiful mother, she put on her best face and she went around, she read some stuff she found interesting. She enjoyed the nice weather and stuff. There's probably an outlet mall she shopped at at some point. <laughs> but um, we were walking around and I remember, even though I loved it, there was a little part of me that was disappointed because it wasn't a battle, Right. Ticonderoga, there were battles. Gettysburg, no. there were battles. Valley Forge was just a, you got to survive. And yep. I didn't really appreciate that until I got a little bit older. And I was like, how do you keep, of course you're going to keep the revolution together. They're the good guys. This is Star Wars. You know what I mean? But, right. But how, like, how do you do that? How do you keep a force of volunteers suffering, low food, harsh conditions, away from their families for a cause that is not guaranteed? And in fact, if it doesn't go your way, 
your participation in this is going to be severely punished. Yeah, and pretty much at this point, you've got nothing has really gone your way other than getting your ass kicked. We've had a couple British. successful <laughs> retreats, you know, it's yeah. like, like Joe Judge with the Giants. Yeah, if you get caught, you got <laughs> right. a lot of explaining to do. You should do, man. We scored a few touchdowns, but not enough for the win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. Um, it's brutal. It really is. Um, and I'm so impressed with that as an adult to learn more about Valley Forge. And I got to get back out there. I know uh, my buddy Davey Bohannon, um, he goes running out there sometimes. And a uh, little side note here, he gets stoned out of his mind and then goes running. And uh, <laughs> he told me, I just run around Valley Forge just thinking about your podcast sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever yeah. it takes. I love that, dude. Pretty sure we ruined his life, though. He's doing stand-up now. Yeah. Um, but uh, so now this is pretty wild here. Around this time frame, after this brutal winter at Valley Forge, there's an idea for what is the one recurring theme in American history, early on especially. Hey, hey, I got an idea. What if we invade Canada? <laughs> You're right. They're British, right? Yeah, we try this on the regular. We tried early on on the war. It doesn't go so well. We tried in War of 1812. It doesn't go so well. The Fenians tried after the Civil War. Uh, South Park tried it. I mean, there's a lot going on. Okay. <laughs> there's a whole movie about it. <laughs> but there's this idea that we're going to go up to Quebec. Now, the idea, I don't know, I should actually look into what the timeline would be because Quebec would have a French name, the idea of sending a French officer like uh, Lafayette. Yeah, maybe that was part of the uh, game plan, right? But Lafayette shows up, he goes, he sees the men that they're giving him and their plan, and he goes, I can't pull this off with this. And maybe, I think this is an important quality of leadership thing. Um, He knows when to say, I can't do this, all right? Because there's this idea of, well, just get in there and, and get it done, you know, that kind of a thing. And he goes, guys, th- listen, we could do this. It's not going to go well. I'm not marching off to my death for something silly when we could do something a little bit more effective. So now it's not a total loss, though, because uh, they do scratch this Quebec invasion. Yeah, because they didn't get the men. The Congress didn't supply the men, the materials, or or the necessary equipment to get the job done. Mm-hmm. So they said, well, you know what? Let's uh, check on that. <laughs> Much like, yeah. <laughs> Omaha, Omaha. <laughs> oh, it's bad. It is bad. I don't want to make too many more New York Giants references, but uh, you know, you want to win games to close out the season, and then you have uh, your third string quarterback in. It's not good. All right, but uh, this botched invasion of Quebec—not even botched, I should say—it just doesn't never even got take off, off the ground. Never, yeah. never got going. It is. Uh, it fizzles out like a bad fart. Um, <laughs> and uh, although it, they do, it, it gets scratched. But there is kind of a cool result in here. Another one of these little chapters of his life that could be an entire movie. Lafayette will gain an alliance with the Oneida tribe, okay, who give him the name. The Oneida tribe will now join the American uh, the colonists in their effort to get the British out because they're so impressed with this man Lafayette, who they call Kewila, a.k.a. Fearsome Rider. Man, this guy's got some nicknames. And by the way, I meant to say this earlier too. The reason he had so many names, he often joked, was that um, it was his mother's idea to name him after every saint possible so that he couldn't be harmed in battle. Right, yeah, right. right. <laughs> he said that's what the Sp- <laughs> that's what the Spaniards do, that you give your kid as many patron saint names as you possibly think of. That, oh, yeah. Uh, now they're all going to be protecting you in battle. That's uh, why I am Kevin Patrick Burke, folks. Right? <laughs> a couple of saints. Short and sweet. Well, you got St. Patrick, you got it all. Yeah, I mean, there's not really much in the big kahuna. But, I mean- <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's the nickname. Well, it could have been the like, little kind of I'm just- fearsome rider. <laughs> fearsome rider, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, no. that is his nickname. No, I got you. 
All of this is not bad for an immigrant who arrived here not speaking the language, I tell you. He's doing pretty good now. All right, hanging out with the future, uh, you know, father of the nation, if you will, getting stuff done, leading men into battle, doing it successfully, earning a reputation. Um, and now this war is finally going to start to turn the colonial way, if you will. All right, these colonists are starting to get their shit together. The French couldn't help but resist the idea of getting involved any longer. Word of Lafayette's bravery on the battlefield is starting to get spoken about over in France. Like that Lafayette, he got over there. Yeah, he's one of our guys and he's doing the, he's doing the job. Yeah, remember that crazy dude who left, the guy with all the money who's a fugitive from France now? He's over there kicking the shit out of people and he's hanging out with all the big swinging dicks in America. Right. <laughs> They're starting to get a little bit anxious here about him. And there's this hope now that the two nations or the nation, the, the kingdom, if you will, the monarchy of France can help assist this fledgling nation in its uh, infancy, if you will. Maybe even not even infancy. It hasn't even come to term yet. But there's this idea, okay? And it might work out. And if France gets involved, you can really, again, for lack of a better term, put some egg on the face of the British. Yeah, plus we, the French can now maybe get back some of the inroads into uh, North America that they lost in the French and Indian War or the Seven Years' War. So, Never I mean, it's, it's not just a whole, you know, for the ideals of liberty and justice for all. This is uh, more like, yeah, hey, we got to get back what we lost to those friggin' Brits. America's and this might a- be the opportunity. And at this point in time now, the Americans are starting to show, putting a couple of wins and a couple W's in the column that uh, Saratoga happened. So, uh, you know, we we had some decisive battles that we actually uh, won a few. So that maybe uh, these young upstarts in the colonies uh, might just be able to pull this off. Well, before this French fleet can arrive, though, there's a very pivotal battle. Which takes place, I'll give you one guess what state it takes place in, Cohen's. Where all things happen. The center of the universe, New Jersey. <laughs> Specifically, Monmouth County. Are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Battle of Freehold, baby. No, it, wait, really? Yep. A battle so wild. Battle of Freehold, also known as the Battle of Monmouth. Um, a battle which will see Charles Lee, the douchebag of the revolution, who almost single-handedly ruined the continental effort, lose reception. Uh, now, the question, again, you want to go back to that episode, you can figure out whether he was just... Um, Lack of tactics, or maybe spent his night in the cat house, or he was intent on sabotage. Um, as soon as his whole thing gets discovered, and by the way, this battle's so crazy. At some point, a chick named uh, Molly Pitcher goes ahead and takes over a cannon. Yeah, her yeah, husband gets hurt, and then Molly Pitcher. <laughs> I've and, and we honor this woman with a rest area. KP, <laughs> I've known all my life about Molly Pitcher. I the coolest. I was today years old when I found out that was in New Jersey. No shit, really? Yeah. Today years old. Yeah. Dude, dude, her husband goes down. Her husband goes down. Uh, it doesn't die, by the way. He just gets wounded while operating the cannon. And then this yeah. kid goes. And she's like, okay, I'll man the uh, cannon. She goes, what? Now tell me. She's from Jersey, so you know she takes off her hoop earrings. And just, <laughs> excuse me? <laughs> she takes off the hoop oh, earrings and she God. just sits there and goes. Takes off the heels so she could run if she has to. There's not many people that will get this reference. Um, everyone in the room will enjoy it. And uh, if you do get the reference listening at home, I hope we can make this real. I need um, uh, I need some sort of a sketch where Jackie Byrne is Molly Pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> Let's write it. The great Jackie, Jackie call me. Let's make this. Uh, There's my casting couch. I think that one's over yet. Yeah. <laughs> we got to bring that back. I'd make that movie. Are you kidding me? I can't believe that happened in Jer- Literally, I've known about Molly Pitcher my whole life. You've driven past that battlefield, never known it. That's wild. 
That's wow. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm a little mad that I didn't know that that was Jersey based, but yeah, anyway. It's Jersey, baby. Wow. I think it was June 26th, so they have a reenactment going on there too, so you Maybe might have we'll to go. take that in. Yep. Um, yeah, no, this year will be wild though. The uh, the British are wearing red face masks to match their uniform. Oh, <laughs> there you go. good Lord. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. Uh, obviously, Molly Pitcher steals some headlines on that one, but it is for the loserception portion. Charles Lee, the douchebag of the uh, the revolution, who uh, when Lafayette is the one who realizes that he screwed up his commands and his men are scattered all over the place. Yeah, it's Lafayette who who realizes that um, Lee is not following the the game plan that Washington mm-hmm. had laid out, and he gets notice over to G Dubs himself, and old G Dubs has to come in on his own horse and relieve Lee of his duties himself and take command there. Now, when we hear about a French fleet arriving, I always think that it's Yorktown. But I learned something here doing this episode. There was a French fleet that arrived beforehand. Right. And uh, Lafayette will play an integral role in the sometimes strained relations of the two parties. There's a little bit of a beef. So um, the French admiral, if you will, uh, who's leading this uh, this fleet, um, he actually pulls himself out to see he doesn't want to engage that there's some, you know, he's not going to take orders from the Americans. He's going to fight the war. So then he actually, they say he abandoned. um, Abandoned. So, of course, now this fleet, there's an issue where they actually go back out to sea. They don't want to engage the enemy at the specific time. Now, the people of Boston, when they hear that, they start screaming traitor. They're ready to bang. Yeah, we're going to fuck up some Frenchies. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, rival, dude. The whole thing was that they finally convinced the French government to send over some aid. So, now they're sending over men, you know, army uh, and navy. Navy being the important thing. Because, again, remember that the, the British have the strongest navy in the world. Now there's nobody to go against them. And that's why they had free reign going up and down the, the east coast of the colonies. They could go wherever they wanted to. You want to jump out of Boston and jump into New York. You want to jump into um, wherever. Um, but this, the first French ships that do arrive, they don't go down to Yorktown. That's a, that's a common misconception. They go up into uh, mm-hmm. Rhode Island. And they're, you know, the, the British are still – uh, in New York, and there was a, uh, a fear that they were going to get bottled up um, in uh, in Rhode Island by the British fleet that was still in New York. So they they pull a skedaddle, and now, <laughs> now a lot of the uh, Massachusetts colonists and stuff are saying, "Hey, you know these these Frenchies, they're they're, they're turning tail already. They only they just got here, and now they're turning tail." And uh, so when know, they go to Boston now, the people of Boston who are pissed off as all hell to begin with. Um, they are a little bit upset. There's the idea of a riot might be breaking out. So what do you do to ease tensions? Send in Lafayette. Lafayette can say, guys, 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 we'll work this out. Don't worry. Listen, I kick ass for you guys, but I'm originally from France. Let me talk to these guys, right? Again, you know, let, me, let me handle some business here. And uh, Lafayette wanted the two parties to work out and even came up with an idea of expanding the war, but under the French flag. But neither side seemed too keen on that. And I understand why. It's a little bit curious why you wouldn't welcome in an ally like that. But it's also, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to come in here and you're going to set everything up. Like, like, why would I welcome in another European power right. to come set up shop? I'm trying to get here? rid of one king. Why would I want to bring in another yeah. one? And as we cover in the ensuing, um, you know, the, you have the XYZ affair and all that other stuff and your little quasi-war that's going to happen – France and us, we know there's going to be problems down the road anyway. So America has to set up shop here. And you don't set up shop on your own by inviting somebody else to come in. All right. No. You know what I mean? Now, uh, 
Lafayette decides, though, once he realizes that they're not too keen on that idea, he decides, he goes, you know what? I've made my legacy abroad. It's time to go make one at home. And he's going to return to his native France. Okay. Accompanying him will be letters and uh, com- letters of commendation from some of the, the respected generals of the war, the, you know, people we now call the founding fathers. Yeah, the war is still going on in America. Very much so. He has he's going be- back again to try to mm-hmm. plead the Americans' case to uh, send additional aid and everything else. And he's going to go over there and they're sending uh, awards for gallantry as well as a beautiful ceremonial sword that is to be given to him upon arrival in France. The Marquis is back, baby, and immediately placed under house arrest by the king. <laughs> yep. The, uh, the the hero, the man of, of great stature in France, who's now a hero over in the Americas, he now comes back and uh, the king goes, get in your house and stay there. You are under arrest. Do not house leave your arrest. house. Do you understand? So he's got the ankle bracelet on. <laughs> that sounds like a house party to me, baby. <laughs> it would be. It would be, man. But uh, it's pretty wild, man, because uh, it really is just a measure for the king to try to save face. And uh, I mean, how can you, you, this is just a slap on the wrist for disobeying the king. And very soon Lafayette is enjoying his hero status in his native country. How much of a hero's welcome, you ask? Well, he receives that gold sword, that ceremonial sword from America, and is delivered to him by Ben Franklin's grandson. Yeah, Ben Franklin's grandson is the one who gives it to him. All right. And uh, pretty soon Marquis himself, the Marquis de Lafayette, I should say, he's going to be off hunting with the king. The king. The king invited you to go hunting with him. You want to just put you on house arrest? Yeah, here's right. uh, yeah the guy who just and but it was only for a week. Yeah, I he, mean it was understand. he had to had to give him a slap on the wrist kind of a thing that you got to remember that the king forbid him to leave France to go over to America in the first place. That's why he snuck out of the uh, country. So when so he got now back, he, now he's coming back as the returning hero. But hey, wait a minute! Didn't I tell you not to go? Well, you know, go to your room. It's the <laughs> you got a lot of explaining to the. Oh, my God. Okay. So then he comes back and he's like, okay, I got to give you some form of punishment. Right. Go to your room House and you think about it, mister. For a week. <laughs> and then let's go hunting. Yeah. I, that's fucking great. And it's tricky because it's going to be uh, the same king that's going to be reigning for quite some time. Remember, kings rule for a lifetime. It's not like a presidency where they're in and out of power here. But I would always say if you can go hunting with the king, go. Same way I feel about it. It doesn't matter what president is in history. Could be Nixon. Could be Warren G. Harding could be anybody if the president of the united states asks you if you want to go golfing with him you say you don't tell him well i don't really know how to golf you go do it that's you, right you've got it for your own safety sometimes and <laughs> that's right you might want to wear a helmet but <laughs> yeah so it's always it, you respect the office you know what i mean um but anyway it's uh, it's pretty wild here he has a brief stay in france and after a uh, failed hope of invading england uh, you know, he wanted to, like you said, Dad, get the French cause to invade England. Yeah, he, he had devised a plan that, uh, hey, all right, we're going to get the French involved. My American friends, they're Heavy great. Duty. They got good wine over there too, tons of vineyards. Come on, guys. Let's go attack, let's go attack England. Yeah. Um, now, it's not all business for him, though. He does manage to knock his wife up with their first child. Um, the, the, the child, by the way, is going to be a son. Um, I will give you a guess, Kahuna, as to what he names his son. He's going to name it. It's a pretty common name. Definitely a founding father that get, he names the kid after. Oh, Vigo the Carpathian. <laughs> <laughs> close, close, close. Um, he names his son. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Ben Franklin, Thomas Edison, the, the Thomas, uh, Sam Adams. He just put same thing where it's like all of the blessing names in, in his kids. It's name. a very funny joke, but we have to point out what he said, dad. You heard it, right? Yeah, I know. I heard it. Cahoon. Thomas Edison. <laughs> yeah, Thomas I know. Edison. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Got to wait, wait a few years before he becomes uh I mean, you can still do it. You name. just don't know. It's going to be the greatest thing in the world. Sorry. <laughs> it's right. 
it's pretty God. good. He's close though. He names the kid George Washington Lafayette. Really? Very true. Yep. It's a, a, an honor to his friend here. And uh, the Marquis is now going to be on his way back to America with a pretty decent sized fighting force. He's got some uh, some French soldiers coming here with him. And uh, Boston greets him because during this time, the war was showing promise. And then they had a couple of defeats in the South and things are getting a little bit ugly here. Mm -hmm. And now Boston, who already likes this guy, right? Boston likes him. Um, he shows up in Boston with these French troops and he is greeted as a knight in shining armor. I mean, people are just going nuts. They're throwing their hats up in the air when the guy comes in. This is, hey, hey, we don't know too much about you, French, but we like this guy. He's pretty cool. <laughs> right. All right. And he's coming he's back. Right. And he's coming back with some of his brethren. And uh, oh, yeah. they got nice uniforms. They got weapons. They got supplies. And they got a Navy that, uh, yeah, we could really use some help. Yeah, that could be coming and, right behind him yeah. here. We're, so, we're, we're, we're thankful for that, for sure. Meets back up with his boy, uh, G-Dubs. They meet up in Morristown, New Jersey. Not kidding. Uh, New Jersey truly is, by the way, this is why it's not my theory that we're the center of the universe, but we are. It's my damn theory. Oh, it's definitely, there's a theory for sure. Um, it's, a, it's actually an ex-girlfriend of mine that came up with that idea. <laughs> the center of the freaking universe, New Jersey. She said that in a fight one time and it always made me laugh. <laughs> but... Uh, Anyway, it truly is the crossroads of the revolution, though. I mean, it's, that's a written it's back and forth, oh, back and doubt. forth, back and forth across New Jersey. So, Oh, for sure. Yeah. As I was going back and forth when uh, I'd be staying in Wayne with you guys and I was working in Mendham, New Jersey, I would literally be going back and forth between two of my commute every day to work when I was doing construction. It was back and forth every day um, to two of different, uh, two different George Washington headquarters. That's how much right. Jersey shit's going on. Right. Um, but anyway- the reunion is, uh, it, it's, he's very happy to see his buddy here, but the, it's not very successful originally. It seems the American Revolution that he thought he left in good hands was now on the brink again. Battles in the South are not going as planned. And uh, now, loserception, going all the way back to season one, folks, year one, probably one of our first 10 episodes, that traitorous bastard, Benedict Arnold. He's back. He has turned his back on G-dubs. In favor uh, yeah. for his wife's sweet, sweet squid. <laughs> I stopped myself. Gee. Peggy Shippen. Peggy Shippen was hot, dude. How hot? Betray your country, hot. And she's a loyalist, too. So now the traitorous Benedict Arnold has betrayed his nation. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. And uh, G-Dubs is furious. And as you said, Dad, this is not a mission to kill. This is his, well, eventually will be. Yeah. Um, the, the war is now gone. The British have uh, pulled out of New England for the most part. I mean, they're still in New York, but they're centering the theater uh, of operations really in the South. So in the Carolinas, uh, Virginia, that that area. And George Washington's pissed. I mean, with Benedict Arnold turning traitor, that was a huge kick in the nuts. And uh, who's he going to send to go capture that son of a bitch? The guy was like a son to him. The, the guy, guy just named like his, his kid after him. And he's going to pull the Marquis aside and he's going to say, you go get that son of a bitch. You bring him to me. You bring him to me alive so I can let him swing from the tree deserves. Jesus. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, didn't know I didn't know George Washington had that kind of voice, Kev. Yeah. <laughs> Little godfather. No, with G-Dubs had a cigar in his mouth and he said, uh, he moved his poncho, revealed his revolver and said, <laughs> do you feel lucky? Which one of you bastards is going first? <laughs> Unfortunately, this is the end of part one because the Marquis de Lafayette had a life so spectacular that it would be an absolute dishonor to his name to brush over the second half of his life. So when we pick up 
We will pick up on part two, which will be coming out shortly. And again, thank you for your patience. Uh, this episode will be coming out. Uh, sh- this one's coming out uh, immediately. Part two will be coming out shortly thereafter. And we will pick up as the Marquis de Lafayette has been sent after the traitor, Benedict Arnold. Dun, dun, dun. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born.